0: at Heinz Field yet from what happened yesterday the Steelers didn't just beat the Browns 38-7 they obliterated them all three phases offense, defense special teams were an obliteration I did believe that the Steelers were going to win this game I did not believe until I saw with my own eyes the extreme to which they would take that concept. Good morning to you. I'm sure it's a very good morning if you're a Steelers fan. I'm Dan Kovachevich of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. Other than Devin Bush's season-ending injury, which is obviously most unfortunate and is something that Mike Tomlin, Keith Butler, and the whole coaching staff are going to have to deal with in the days and weeks ahead. This was about as good as it gets. This was this was something special. This was a convergence of a lot of different climbs, if you will. The offense has gotten progressively better with each passing week, it's felt like. The defense was occasionally getting exposed, especially on third down, and especially in certain parts of the field. That got settled. And the special teams have quietly been very good, at times, excellent. Yesterday, they were excellent. Alex Highsmith, in particular, the third-round pick from this summer with three gunner tackles. He was outstanding. But I've got nothing here that's going to rise above one player who candidly had some pretty mediocre statistics. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at Wiener World Pittsburgh If you're not aware of Wiener World, you're probably not aware of downtown. They've been in the same location on the same corner at Smithfield Street and Strawberry Way since 1965. They serve not only some of the best original hot dogs you'll ever try, but also are known for their one-pound fish sandwiches, and you heard me right, that's one pound, (laughs) and ice cream, and some of the best soft fries, soft thin fries, which personally speaking are my favorite kind, all kinds of good stuff. Open Monday through Friday. Head down to Wiener World. If you're in town already working, make it a destination. It's worth it. Wiener World, Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger, in case you hadn't already figured it out, is who I'm referring to with all of this. His numbers were 14 of 22 for 162. He had a touchdown, no picks, two sacks. And I say none of this with any excitement because these numbers don't you know, leap off the page at you. But the Steelers piled up enough of an early lead that they ended up handing off the ball in the second half 25 times. That's not a rounded-off figure. It was exactly 25 times that they handed the ball off, most of it to James Conner, but they also got Benny Snell involved, Anthony McFarland. Uh, Everybody was in on it. But to me, nothing stands out more individually from yesterday than what Ben did. And here's why. Early in the game, it couldn't have been clearer that the Browns were not going to let Ben have uh, what I've jokingly been referring to as the unstoppable play, and that's that little quick slant. You know the one I'm talking about, where Juju or James Washington or Deontay Johnson, who obviously didn't play yesterday, will come across real quick on a diagonal route. And Ben will just hit them super fast, and then they can either break it by going laterally or going upfield or whatever it is, but it's it's a play that, when it works well, doesn't look like it can be defended. Well, of course it can be defended. Everything can be defended. The Browns made up their minds to defend this play, and they clogged the middle of the field. They had double coverage on anyone attempting a slant. Ben got a little stubborn with that early on. You'll recall. Forced in a ball to Eric Ebron, didn't work out. Forced a ball to Juju Smith-Schuster, didn't work out. Nearly got picked early on trying that. And what Cleveland was trying to do principally was to say to Ben, look, we've watched your film. We've seen that you haven't had a lot of success in throwing downfield. Timing hasn't been there, You've been overthrowing. We're, we see that, and we're just going to ask you to do that again today. Just go ahead and throw it downfield. Just do that. So he did. And then he connects with James Washington. And then he connects with Chase Claypool. He connects with Juju Smith-Schuster. He didn't throw a ton downfield. But when he did, they were right on the mark right on the mark that is challenge recognized challenge accepted challenge defeated the Steelers won this game for a bunch of reasons but there's nothing that I enjoyed more than watching that I asked Ben about this after the game here's what he had to say Ben, do you feel like, especially early on, with the way they seem to be putting extra attention on your slants, that you needed and did connect downfield and on sidelines and a lot of the stuff that you've been focused on lately? Yeah, they made they made some good plays early on some RPOs, uh, which is just quick you know our quick passing game. And so they batted some down, they got in and jumped them. They were ready for it today. And so we we decided to take some shots down the field. And um, you know I know James had two big ones down the field. Um, and, and so that was that was neat to see. It's neat to see guys making plays uh, down the yard. And he's absolutely right to spread the credit around. Chase Claypool was targeted four times, caught four balls, seventy-four yards, had a rushing touchdown. James Washington, who I've wanted to see get involved, more involved in this offense for quite a while now, had four catches of his own for 68 yards and, of course, the one touchdown where the Browns thought it would be a swell idea to let him just run all by himself downfield. Nice stuff. All of it was good, In, in particular, the offensive line and making sure that not only would the Steelers run, but also that Ben would have time to throw and especially keeping... Miles Garrett off him, which they did for all but one sack that was essentially a coverage sack. Well done by everyone. But I'm talking about Ben. Because when you're talking about the Steelers, you're talking about Ben. And I love the fact that he was able to adjust to what the Browns thought that he couldn't do. I love the fact that he overcame that because it's something that very, very visibly had been bothering him to this point in the season where I'm sure there had to be some doubts, not about his health or anything. Again, he was overthrowing, not underthrowing. He was putting too much air under the ball. But also that Randy Feitner and Ben had a discussion earlier in the week regarding how they were going to practice and how they were going to spend additional time on the deep routes, and they did, and they went after it, and then they drew up plays that made sense. There was a very early one, you'll remember, up the left sideline to James Washington. Nothing matters more to this team than Ben finding a way to just be the best version of himself. The version that we're seeing this year is a little different than in the past. He's being a little bit more careful. He's making smarter, better reads. But he's also firing into tight quarters when he believes that there's something there or that he trusts the receiver or the tight end to come up with the ball. He's also finding himself settling into Some running grooves. We saw some no huddle. Uh, We saw some hurry up in which all he was doing was hurrying up and handing off. Why? Because Cleveland couldn't stop the run, especially when the Steelers and James Conner ran to the right side. I'm not sure why yet. I haven't had a chance to go through film. But if you're Ben and you're lining up behind center and you see that you're getting five, six yards a pop every time you turn around and give it to 30... You're not overthinking things here. Three games in a row, no pick for Ben. This is why, because he's taking what's there. In this case, they thought he couldn't do something. They thought that if they left him something there, in giant quotes, meaning deeper downfield or on sideline routes, that he wasn't going to be able to hit it. He still took what was there. And I am telling you, that is the thing we've been waiting for from Ben this whole time. It could take him to another level, especially next Sunday in Nashville because the Titans are terrible defensively and in the secondary. And it's going to be needed more than ever because I do think the Steelers are going to have to put up a bunch of points offset with Derek Henry. to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, price line. Welcome back. It certainly looks as though Jim Rutherford is done with his roster, or at least as close to being done as his possible with his roster after the Penguins signed right-handed defenseman Cody Ceci. Formerly the Maple Leafs before that of the Senators, it's not exciting, Uh, it's not something that's going to transform the team, but the roster is done and it needed a right-handed defenseman. And it needed one who fit under the salary cap. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our good friends at the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbit, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp or medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been AV-rated which is the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics. The lawyers at the firm have also been designated as super lawyers, and that's a real thing for over 15 years. That, my friends, is a rare combination. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888 842 Five four five four. I can see now where Cody Cece is going to become the new Jack Johnson. Um, he kind of was that in Ottawa, and he was definitely that in Toronto. Uh, became a, a scapegoat kind of guy. Uh, he and Johnson. They have similar traits in the sense that the thing that CeCe's always done that's been the most impressive has been shot blocking, clearing the front of the net, that kind of stuff. But he also has a a pedigree for offense that dates back to his earlier years, including when the Senators made him a, a hometown draft pick. He's born in Ottawa. First rounder. Uh, So he's got some talent. He's got some speed. He has joined the rush more in the past. In Toronto, he was put on a second pairing, which was never a great idea, but that tells you more about the state of the Leafs than it does how he should have been used. He was put there as a partner with Morgan Riley, who's one of the NHL's better offensive defensemen. So it was one of those old, uh, I'm going to really date myself with this reference, but when the Penguins used to put Randy Hillier uh, on a pairing with Paul Coffey when Coff first came over for Edmonton because uh, Randy would just hang back. And he'd talk about this. he just like, I wasn't going to take any chances at all. Whatever Coff was going to do, I was hanging back and I was taking care of my own end that's kind of the role that was set up for him in Toronto. So you didn't get to see him at his best last season. This is some of what he had to say yesterday on his call with us. Uh, I think I'm a two way, two way defenseman. Um, Just in the, in the past, I mean, kind of got away from it a little bit last year and just looking to, to, to add that, add that offensive side back a little more. Um, I mean, just always been pretty, pretty steady defensively. Play, play hard. Uh, so that that'll be there, and I'm just trying to add a little more of the two-way game back, like I had previously in, in my career. I know better than to think that Cece's going to be given that much of an opportunity. Certainly by the. The Twitter crowd, uh, in particular the advanced analytics crowd, which is really small but really noisy and comes with an awful lot of influence on social media. He doesn't put up great advanced metrics numbers. But I want to underscore some differences here between him and Jack, even though I'm sure it's in vain to some extent. The obvious one is he's right-handed. That's why I stressed that at the beginning. Uh, The Penguins have five left-handed defensemen. Uh, The best prospect that they have at the position also is left-handed in Pierre-Olivier Joseph. You don't want, more importantly, Mike Sullivan doesn't want to move a lefty over to the right side. We've seen what that looks like. It's very rare that it works. There are players who do that naturally. There are some who actually prefer it. It's not something that you want. So the Penguins were either going to go get another right-handed defenseman or they were going to move Chad Ruweedle up into the top six. I'm just telling you how it was going to go. Uh, Anyone could have fantasized about Yuso Ricola uh, sliding across to the right side. Mike Matheson sliding across the right side, not going to happen. Instead, what you're going to see is Cody CC partnered with Mike Matheson. No doubt in my mind. The Penguins' top four remain unchanged. The Penguins' top four are going to continue to get the bulk of the ice time. So the third pairing really isn't going to matter that much except for penalty killing purposes and depth purposes. What you have right now, again is an environment in which Yuso Ricola and Chad Ruedel are your de facto fourth pairing, if you will. That's a really nice 7 and 8. And again, I'm not even getting into if Joseph can come in and make an impact. If those kinds of things happen... I don't think you're going to see people blocked. I hope you don't see people blocked. If, let's say, Joseph were to come in and have a just a spectacular camp, like a John Marino-type camp, he, he's not going to, but just saying, okay? Do you really think the Penguins wouldn't find a way to move somebody else out to make room for him, or at least keep him at the top of the list in Wilkes-Barre for when someone inevitably does get hurt. That's just the nature of the position. Defensemen get hurt. I don't see that as being a crisis thing. Uh, I believe that the Penguins needed to get a right-handed defenseman. I said so beforehand. I'm not about to back off now. This signing doesn't excite me either, but this signing is for one year and $1.25 million, which is... 420000 above minimum, which is very—I mean, I understand all things are relative. We all would love to make that much money, but that's really, really, really low in hockey. It's as low-risk a signing as you can make, and the Penguins barely have anything left under the cap as I'm speaking. That's where they are. This is the roster as it's been constituted. I sure hope that the last guy who was signed with the last few pennies that were left in the bank doesn't define the kind of offseason that Jim Rutherford had. I I like the offseason that he had. It goes coincidentally along with a lot of the stuff that I wrote after the loss to Montreal in the playoffs. I felt like the team needed to get younger fresher, faster, and it needed to lose some of its sacred cows. And it did that. It checked every one of those boxes. The only one that's sitting there unchecked, and this can't happen until they actually start practicing and playing games, is making sure that the young players in the mix get legitimate, honest chances, in particular from Sullivan just the defensemen forwards too they're signing a lot of forwards they've signed a lot of depth forwards that maybe they didn't need. i hope they don't block young guys who are capable of coming in and making an impact not just now but in the future when we come back a little bit of baseball I know everybody would love to hear this morning about Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now, and Austin Meadows all making it to the World Series with the Tampa Bay Rays. No? No? Okay, well, how about another similar baseball-based subject as it relates to the Pirates' inability to make players better. Only I'm not referring to those guys and everybody else that's been shipped off and who somehow became super mega stars elsewhere. I'm referring to the 2020 team. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their mission is feeding people in need and eliminating hunger in our region. The drive through which that mission is currently operating is called Grow, Share, Thrive, and it can be found online, not coincidentally, at growsharethrive.org. When you get there, you'll find out how you can help people who don't know where their next meal is coming from, people right here, in our region, maybe in your town, maybe in your neighborhood. GrowShareThrive.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. The Pirates are keeping all of Derek Shelton's coaching staff intact toward 2020, our site confirmed over the weekend, no big announcement, no big surprise, really, I expected all along that all of them would stay, so I'm not about to go pounding the table here over that in and of itself. What I don't like about it is that I actually would have been okay if something had changed, if someone had changed, not for symbolic purposes, okay, not to send a message or to show that that wasn't acceptable, but because it would have meant that we found out that something or someone didn't live up to what was the bar set by. Ben Charrington and Derek Shelton of making the team better, of having a player-centric culture, another term they use all the time that focuses on the individual player and the individual player getting better. When in this 2020 season, as lousy as it was for the team overall, finishing 19-41, And even if you attach the asterisk that they only played 60 games and that it was a very different environment and everything else, who got better? Who got better on this team? Who got better individually? I'll focus until I see something different on these hitters. And that's not to say that the pitchers were great, but you at least saw a couple of guys pitch better than they had last year. Uh, you saw most of them pretty much stay who they were, and I'm thinking in particular of, you know, Joe Musgrove, Trevor Williams, guys like that 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 kind of mattered. Mitch Keller was hurt too much to be able to gauge how he did. The bullpen was wrecked at the back end from the beginning by injuries. In the lineup, the worst thing that could have happened to this roster now and for the immediate future happened, and that was for not one, but all of the hitters. Maybe you could make an exception for Colin Moran and for whatever it's worth, Eric Gonzalez, but barely on either of those fronts, all of them got worse. You don't need me to read off all their OPSs and everything else. You saw it. You've heard them. You've read them yourself. Josh Bell got worse. Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman, both after remarkable rookie seasons, under the same hitting coach, Rick Eckstein, got worse. Other players that you were kind of hoping... Uh, would step up and maybe weren't all that great in, in 2019, but if they had made a difference, Adam Frazier got worse. Cole Tucker was pretty much the same prospect where you're thinking, hey, he seems like a really great kid and we're pulling for him and everything else, and look, he can play all these positions and has such energy. He doesn't hit the ball hard. He had one of the worst exit velocities in all of baseball, which means he wasn't exactly getting robbed. You know, by people making uh, diving, sprawling, leaping grabs of line drives. That wasn't happening. He just wasn't hitting the ball hard. He doesn't hit the ball hard. Who got better? Who got better offensively on this team? So, again, I get it. It's two months. Charrington and Shelton themselves just came aboard. It makes sense within that setting. It, it, it does. And I'm not sitting here ripping them for not firing Rick Eckstein or you know, Mike Rebello, his assistant, or Oscar Marine, the pitching coach, or Justin Message, his bullpen guy. I, I'm not doing that. Not yet. Not after two months. But I'm also not going to lie to you that I don't like the fact or that I would have welcomed if something had happened because it would have been the first really good tangible sign that, you know what, these guys are serious. They wanted to see something, and they didn't see it yet. Maybe they'll end up right. Maybe that whatever they did or worked on with these hitters in particular over the course of 2020 will somehow magically set them on a course to be that much better over the course of, you know, over the, 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 the span of their careers or even right into 2021. But I'm not feeling that. I'm not. I didn't see it. I didn't see much progress. Meaning even, you know, from games 0 to 20 or 20 to 40, 40 to 60, I didn't see like where somebody just Came alive at the end, and ended. oh, if only the season had been longer. Uh uh-huh. uh. Didn't happen. They were a little bit better, but not much. I do hope that what happened here in 2020 is taken into consideration. I do hope that the Pirates did their diligence on this. And I do hope that if something like this happens again, and again, I'm not referring to the team record, I'm referring to individual improvement. There will be changes. Thanks so much for listening today. I always appreciate it. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit ProjectChildSafe.org.